0: Audo biAllah min al-Shaytan ar-Rajim. Bismillah ar rahim Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum everyone and welcome to episode five of the Poets of the Household podcast, where we discuss and explore different topics of poetry and what it means to us in relation to our Holy Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and his holy household, holy household alaihim wasallam. Uh, And as always, I am joined by my co-host, brother Naki Rizvi. Naki, how are you doing, brother?
1: Alhamdulillah, doing great. Uh, Autumn is in full swing in Toronto, one of my favorite seasons, so definitely uh, in a good mood.
0: Favorite seasons, eh? Okay, it's a little chilly, so you are Canadian after all, so I guess I don't know what to say (laughs) about that. Anyways, um, and today, uh, I know I say this every episode, but it's just true every single time, Today is also another very special episode. Um, As you know, in this podcast, we usually have poets come on and they discuss their journey and they discuss different poetic styles and how English poetry can grow, how we can grow the culture, et cetera, et cetera, especially surrounding the Bayt. But today will be different. Um, And what we mean by that is we wanted to bring another perspective when it comes to poetry specifically on how it ties into our religion as a whole, uh, specifically around the Ahlul Bayt, of course. And for that, uh, Alhamdulillah, uh, we are honored and privileged to have our guest today, uh, none other than uh, Mulana Sayyid Asad Jafri. Um, Sayyid Asad is someone who I'm sure you, all, you are all um, are familiar with, mashallah, a uh, scholar who studied in the house of Qum and speaks all over the world throughout the year, uh, giving lectures and seminars and of course leaves his mark with every community that he visits and he is currently the religious director uh, at Asadiq islamic school in toronto and is currently pursuing his master's in islamic studies so without further ado uh milana sayada sajafri assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh and thank you so much for being with us here today
2: alaikum salam warahmatullahi wabarakatuh thank you for having me i'm very excited uh to discuss this topic, inshallah, and uh, looking forward to your questions and the uh, the back and forth dialogue, inshallah.
0: Inshallah, inshallah. Again, thank you for being with us today. So uh, let's start off that, uh, with everything that we base our religion on when it comes to Quran and Hadith. Uh, that's the basis of, of our deen. So in particularly when it comes to poetry in 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 our religion, um, specifically surrounding the Ahl-Bayt, you know, what kind of Quranic ayats or any hadith you can share with us and our audience when it comes to
2: when it comes to poetry? So we know that every subject, every topic, um there is a there's a place in the deen for that topic. And specifically poetry really we have to go a little bit back and i'll I'll try not to be too long-winded but there is a rich history when it comes to poetry and uh specifically the arabian peninsula even pre-islamic in the jahiliya era uh, the arabs of those times or nomadic arabic tribes they would use poetry not just as an expression or, or an avenue let's say or a hobby but sometimes even to express enmity towards another tribe or Mm. to honor another tribe,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: eulogize another tribe, let's say. Um, Even, let's say, to find faults in another individual would all be wrapped in a poem or some sort of presentation that had poetic influence in it. And it's very well known that, you know, they would have contests in Arabia Mm. pre-Islam and where the you know the the winner of that contest would have his presentation, his writing, let's say, on the wall of the Kaaba uh, for one year, for the tribes that would go in and out, and it was a high traffic zone, uh, as you know, Mecca was the was the hub, one of the hubs of not only worshiping idols of the Kaaba but also trade and selling and buying for idols. Mm-hmm. So there'd be caravans going in and out of Mecca, and so this individual who would win this contest had the honor, really, according to him to have his poem sort of displayed there on the Kaaba. And that's precisely why the miracle of the Quran came about. It, it was a, a, a miracle that was first and foremost based on the fasahat and the balagat of the language. Because uh, literacy and the idea of poetry was so rampant and so, uh, so present in that time. And remember, we understand the nature of miracles in Islam as that nature that is relevant and prevalent in that society. For example, mm-hmm. Nabi Musa's Asa and his cane was given to him because magic was prevalent back then. Nabi Isa's ability to cure the sick and raise the dead because medicine was prevalent. This Quranic text, this narration, these revelations, these ayat and these, and these verses was given to the Holy Prophet part, partly because literacy and poetry was relevant and prevalent at that time, mm-hmm. and so that's that's the first sort of portion of it. And then when you get into the idea of some of the ahlul and their advice, sometimes I'll give you just sort of a couple examples, if you don't mind.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So Names that. that sometimes we think belong to a different context in Islam actually were, you know, very very um, effective poets of their time. One name that that comes up constantly, one of the more famous poems, poets that we had, is Kumail ibn Ziyad, the very famous Sahabi of Imam Imam Ali that is, you know, sahib al-du'a'i Kumail, meaning he was the one that this du'a was named after. He hmm. would write poetry to the point where it would, of course, praise the Ahlul Bayt. So remember, back then now, and specifically history picks up this, mor- uh, this portion, post-Sakifah, where there really was a test of someone's ideology and their aqidah, and sometimes people like Kumil ibn Ziyad al-Asadi, he would actually write poetry. And in that poem, he would declare his aqidah or mm. declare his allegiance, let's say, to Amid al-Mu'mineen. And that's why when you look at historically, many of the Bani Abbasids and Bani Umayyads, they would, what? They would punish these poems, the, these poets, imprison them, sometimes outright kill them, mm. only based on the fact that they would elevate the ahl to a status and then present that for the for the crowds in the form of the poetry. And that's why we have in our hadiths, for example, Imam Sadiq alayhi salam is quoted um, as, as saying, you know, teach your children, for example, the uh, you know, I have it here, the poem or, or the poems of someone called Abdi. Abdi was a close companion of Imam Sadiq. Um hmm. through that, he says, through this poems or through this poetry, your children will now understand the religion of God he says wow okay? so you know the, these are these are poets that existed during the Imams times and they would be uh, Avenues of knowledge that the that the Imams would 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 pick up so you can you can tell how deep-rooted and how intrinsic it was in the culture of the Arabs um this the, this idea of poetry but again we're not talking about just a hobby somebody had a Khayal and a thought and of course they wrote it this was sometimes you know a definition of iman and Islam, a mu'min and the Muslim, an enemy of the, of the Bayt, a Shia or follower of the Bayt, all based on their writings. And so we have mm-hmm. countless Hadiths to talk about the idea that the imams would say, go to that poet and learn the deen from this poet, right? Mm-hmm. So those things mm-hmm. exist, yeah. Amazing. Now, in terms of the Quran, if I can, if I can just touch a little bit about that. Mm, please. Um, interesting that the last few verses of Surah al Shuara, hmm. of course, poets, as as it's translated in Arabic, the 26th chapter of the Quran. It's a very it's a very lengthy surah, 220 some odd verses, um, but very short ones nonetheless. The last five or six are very interesting. And I want to very briefly discuss that because I'll use that as a base for a number of my other discussions later on in this, in this program. There was a claim by the poets of that time. Remember, those poets didn't write about God, didn't write about any sort of goodness. They wrote about things that were sort of fuzuli, as you say. Things were a little bit careless, carefree, useless, didn't have a purpose behind them, right? Mm. They can't be compared to the Qumail ibn Ziyads of the world. And their claim to fame was that, look, Muhammad, like us, is a poet, and his poetry are these verses of the Qur'an. Mm. And that's where these verses pick up. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now says, look, let's be careful. Don't place my Muhammad or my Rasul or my Habib in the same category as these poets. And then he goes on to describe how these poets are. And with your permission, I'll I'll, I'll sort of recite verbatim uh, some of these verses. They're very quick, but it's very interesting to note how the Quran describes these poems, these poets. And then of course, you know, the category by which they have. So yeah. he says, first of all, you know, Bismillah rahman rahim. ghawun. These are the poets who people who go astray, they follow these poets. Ghawun are those people who are the opposite of those who are the mutadayin uh, or the متقيم or the muhtadin, the ones who are guided. Garun are those who are the opposite of those who are guided. So they're astray. These are those group of people that follow these poets everywhere they go. Now, who are they? Do you not see, the Quran says. Very interesting now, the way this verse, verse number 225 of uh, Surah Sha'ara, do you not see that they wander about bewildered in every valley? Mm. These are poets where those who are misguided follow them. They idolize them. They worship them. Okay. And then very interesting, the Quran says they are who? They say that which they do, do not do. Right. Now, what does it mean that they wander around the valley? Does that mean they're walking around without any purpose? They're going in circles, this and that? No. Alama Tabatabai has a very interesting tafsir of this verse. He says that their khayal and their thoughts wander around aimlessly. They write about things that are useless. Or God forbid, they bring they they bring truth to those things that are innately false. They elevate those things that have been de- degraded by God. And then of course they speak about this lifestyle that they themselves don't practice. Mm-hmm. And then the very last verse of this Surah Sha'ara, Allah says, poets in general are like this, except for a certain few. Who mm-hmm. are they? الصَّالِحَاتِ <laughs> wa Except for the ones who have iman, they perform good acts, and they remember Allah continuously, kathiran, hmm. akthariyat. Majority of their time they are mashkul. They are, they, they are busy in the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So again, Allah is not against the idea of poetry or poets, but it should be an avenue where your, your sense of tawheed, your iman, your faith, your aqidah should elevate as you're writing this poetry. Otherwise, um, you become like those poems, those poets where the faithless follow you, you become hypocritical, right? And it's important that we understand a little bit of the Qur'anic aspect to that.
1: Jazakallah. mashallah. I guess uh, following that, uh, the last point that you made around uh, the advice, uh, or yeah, I guess the advice that is given at the end of Surah Al-Shu'ra, the um, are there any like boundaries and limitations that we should consider while writing poetry, especially poetry for the Ehl Um and then like also the uh, all of the opposite of that question: uh, what freedoms or leeway do we have um, for creative thought uh, and imagination when it comes to um, writing for either the Fadal or the Masab of the Ehl mm-hmm. Um I would love to get your thoughts on that as well.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a beautiful question, uh, Brother Nucky, and I really appreciate this question because I think. This is a little bit of the crux of the issue, either good or bad, and I'll start out with a quick story. In, in my days in the house in Qom, remember it, 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 well, there there were things in that culture, in the Persian culture, that were a little bit ajib to me. They're a little bit strange to me, uh, only because I come from a Pakistani background. So one of the things is out, really outside the Haram, Abi Qum, Right across the street, they have these shops there, and one was a rug shop, a shop that of that just kind of sold rugs and small little carpets. And during Maharam, they would—I remember—they would hang these carpets that had the image of Imam Hussein, actually his face on them. And sometimes in different moments on the day of Ashura. So I remember one one rug that really caught my eye was him holding, you know, Ali Yaskar in his arms with the arrow in his neck. Hmm. And eventually, I had the courage to ask one of my Iranian scholars that, you know, is this allowed? Like they're drawing the the picture of the imam, I mean, it's not like there's a noor, there's eyes, an eyebrow, a nose, everything, you name it.
3: Right.
2: He says, look, he says, this is the khayyal, and this is the image of the artist. Mm. Um, And that license is given to him, so long as there's no sort of, you know, disrespect, or there's no sort of lowering or degradation of the imam, of course. Mm. But it's interesting how much of a license that artist was given where, you know, in our culture, of course, it's, you know, almost blasphemous to have that type of detail. Um, upon, yeah. uh, it's it's frowned upon, of course, it's discouraged. Now, again, not based on the deen, just sort of hmm. culturally speaking. Right. So it really shows me that the deen does give you a license uh, that's creative to a wide aspect. Where the red lines are, and again, I go back to these verses, they they, they, they speak volumes, especially for you two who, who write poetry, mashallah, very beautifully on a regular basis is that we're not going to play with the sharia of Allah. We're not going to make those things that Allah has frowned upon elevated. We're not going to bring truth to those things that are innately false and that have been prescribed to be false. Mm. So whether that, you know, and again, how you describe certain events that are real, that license is given to you. Um, Mm. But like I said, bringing truth to a falsehood, elevating an area that has been, for example, cursed upon by the Ahl those things now become red flags and, and red lines. You know, say, they say in, in, in Farsi, that really strong red line that you don't cross into that. It can't be that, for example, a group of people, for example, and so it's a, it's a, it's a common example, if you don't mind, I'll use it, you know, a, a group that would elevate Imam Ali to the level of divinity, hmm. that would claim him to be God. And that's a group that, of course, Imam Ali would curse and would uh, would summon to the punishment of Allah. How can you sit there and do shirk and with me of all people where I'm inviting you towards Tawheed? You've Mm. seen me on the Musalla and the Mahrab. You've seen me crying to my Lord. And yet sometimes we think in the fada'il and the distinction and in the elevation of Imam Ali, we sort of, you know, we side with that group or we understand where they come from. And even when we start to play with words sometimes, we have to be a little bit careful to not even sort of enter that arena where maybe people might be misunderstood or even a soft spot for a group that Imam Ali now has essentially said, look, if you continue this way, you're going down a path of damnation, right? So those are things. And then of course, you know, creating a false narrative, um, outright, you know, um, uh, lies and uh, historical inaccuracies just because you know it fit well in that, in that, in, in, in that verse. Remember, in our culture, and I'll you know I'll expand it to the Arab, the Persians, and the and the Urdu culture. These are three cultures where a lot of our individuals they would learn from the poets. Like a lot of what they understood from the Deen was from these poets. So the point where they would quote these poems in an intellectual debate. That mm. so and so poem poet had said this. Whereas you know the alim is quoting books and volumes and authors and ulama and scholars, they're saying yeah, but so and so poet said this, so and so poet said this, right? So when you understand the gravity of the idea that you know it, it's it's huge, people are learning from this. Like people are actually, you know, they're 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 shaping their knowledge of of, of Islam through these poems. It's not just about fitting it in a certain a uh, rhythm or making sure that this rhymes with that with that second stanza or whatever you're your 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 rhythm is it's it's a responsibility right i mean you become a, a, a muballigh of the deen when you're up there on the mic now praising the Ahlul bayt talking about imam hussein's musiba for example and people now take it as literally as wahi and revelation sometimes um right. not just creative license so you know to answer your question you know there is a lot of license you have you have creativity but we're not going to, as the Quran says, we're not going to be individuals who bring truth to those things that are that are that are outwardly and innately false inside of us.
0: Right, mashallah. Okay, that's that's a very important point. And um, you know, before I get to my next question, like for example, like just for clarity purposes, um, like we've heard, you know, you know, like we say in our language nohas or in Arabs, you know, in, in um the Arabic they say like we've heard where conversations take place between one person to the other. Like, for example, there's, there's a famous noha that we've heard, you know, of, of, of a conversation between Bibi Sakheena or Sayyidu Ruqayya, uh, before, you know, he's going to pass away the next day or, or attain shahada the next day on the day of Ashura. Like, so are those kind of things okay in your in your estimation, uh, as long as they're not crossing bounds? Or are you talking about, like, creating brand new events that didn't occur?
2: Yeah, so I I, I think... I I I think the latter. Like we're creating brand new events, we are actually creating people that weren't there. We are, you know, introducing new characters in the story. For example, mm. but I, again, you know, as long as and even as a reciter myself, sometimes you know, I will say myself that my heart tells me that this is what happened. Right. I ha- and I and and now I'm 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 I try to be conscious of saying I haven't read this. But it's not far-fetched that a daughter and a father would have this connection, for example. Right, right. That a four-year-old, a typical four-year-old, you know, about to lose her father would say this, for example. Right. So as long as the poet is clear in, in understanding that, and again, the audience also has to realize that, that mm. is that that is a, a creative freedom, a creative license that has been granted to a to a to a poet just surely by that profession or that hobby or, or, or the act. Um, you know that sort of wiggle room is there. Again, as long as there's no disrespect, of course. Yeah. Uh, and again, even that disrespect. Again, it's going to be long-winded, but even that is subjective, right? Certain cultures have, you know, a a, a a a very subjective or a long range in terms of what's considered to be disrespect. You take the day of Ashura, for example. A one-hour muqtal by the by our Arab speakers is 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 again frowned upon, seen as blasphemy in our Urdu culture. Right. Mm. Uh we recite a 15, 20 minute maqtal on the day of Ashura. Anything longer, and there are some people that would see that as disrespect to Imam Hussein. And during Fatima, a lot of things we don't recite in the Masai Basyy of the Fatimah, only right. because it's considered to be Toheen or uh, or a lowering of her level. So I mean, even those those levels, you know, in terms of um um uh, the the vastness of of of, of, of um the uh what's considered to be disrespect is vastly different between cultures
0: right and i think we're like we know that when we hear something it kind of it takes it back kind of like okay you know when we might be crossing a line here and some things that fill our heart that might yeah. be okay so i think like we as grown adults are in a position to kind of know where that distinction is uh so yeah you know, I, I just think,
2: wish uh, the you know poets would would understand the the effect of their words you know yeah. um as much as uh you know we we're in a in an era of awareness, and in a, in a, a aware of inf- era of information, there are still some people who really take the poet's word as gospel, as everything, as you know, um, you know. And if the alim reads something, sometimes I'm saying, if the alim reads something different from what they've heard in a marsiya or a salam or a noha or a Qasidah, mm-hmm. they'll challenge the alim before they'll sit there and say, wait a second, that's a poet. That's a poet who wrote this. Right. This is the alim of X of years who wrote this.
0: Right, so. right, right, yeah, and and that's that's important. That's a, a probably a good segue to our next our next question here. And you know, in your in your opening point, you mentioned you know Hazrat Ibn and how poets were revered um, in history, and uh, you know how it's very very important to make that distinction between poets who have iman compared to who don't. So you know, I kind of wanted to ask you a question in regards to the history of poets that have uh, have gone through during the times of Ahlul Bayt, and if you can mention any sort of events in history where the imams have encouraged people to write or recite poetry or any events where, you know, they actually had um, a poet recite poetry in front of them to kind of, you know, understand the status of a poet or understand what they mean to the society.
2: Yeah, that's a, it's it's a good question. And there are many moments, uh, you know, obviously what comes to mind to everybody is after the event of, uh, of, of Ashura, all the imams afterwards uh, would make sure that, the best poet of the time would come and recite, uh, you know, this poetry on Imam Hussein's musiba I've oftentimes mentioned this on the member, even the concept of Marfia and and this idea of salam that we have, where an individual recites something up there. If if you understood the language, they're telling a story up there, right? It's a historical narration of of, of the events. Sometimes it's an entire maqtal of Imam Hussein's musaib done in poetry, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, and there are p- people who have done, you know, uh, sharas of balagha and Sahifa in a poetry form, for example. Mm-hmm. One thing that really stood out to me in my research for today's podcast, it really was incredible. One of um, the very first poets we have, and again, uh, post saqifa in that very tense, chaotic um, era in Medina, around the era's uh, days of fatimia was actually a woman. And, mm. uh, you know, she was one of, she's known as one of the first women or people even to recite poetry in defending the rights of Amida al-Mu'mineen. Wow. Uh, fresh after Saqifah now, you know, uh, weeks after Ghadir. And I, I just want to, you know, it literally four lines in English that she recites. And this is something that is brought to us by Imam Sadiq that again is, is you know, he asked the poets Include these lines Inside your poetry And again I want you to Understanding of course The context and the era that that, that she wrote it in Mm. Um, You know her name is Um, Um, Umme Masta her name was Mm. Um, And You know She writes this And she addresses the Holy Prophet So history says That she stands in front of the grave of Rasulullah And she recites her poem That's a very High traffic public area, yeah. doing it on purpose, ensuring everyone around her hears her. Right. It was uncommon, of course, back then for a woman to recite any sort of poetry like this of all places in front of the grave of Rasulullah. And she says, after you, meaning to after you, Ya Rasulullah, mm-hmm. an event and differences have occurred that would never happen if you were present. Mm-hmm. We lost you, she says, just as the soil would lose water. Your community is going astray. Be witness, she says, and neglect not the ones who are truthful.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, spoke volumes, uh, mm-hmm. especially at a time where people were very quiet. Silent majority was, was of, was of course, the major group then. A handful would support Aminah Mu'mineen. And so these are the types of poems that, like I said, where, you know, Aqidah was defined and the path of Iman was paved. And people were sort of placed in in which groups they were in. And sometimes, without even expressing verbally, outright, who you belong to, you know, the Bani Abbas, the Bani Umayyads would ask the, the, the poets, write a fresh poem for me and recite it, knowing full well that their poems would never, never lack some form of aqidah or theology or a tribute to who they believed in. Their, their khulafa, their imams, the ahl whatever the case may be right so poetry was really a sort of a you know it was it it was it was really a tablighi mission back then right um and 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 has remnants of that today as well
0: yeah um, right and that's that's key um because it looks like they were using that poetry as a means to kind of grow the faith um where it was kind of dead after the prophet because of what happened and so that kind of again another good segue to our next question in regards to to growth of english poetry today um you know growing up in the south asian community or any community i would say even say arab community iranian community uh you know growing up and listening to lectures in our mother tongue whether it's arabic farsi or urdu um you know we never thought lectures would be in english Mm. and it would grow to this level uh exponentially uh mashallah you One of those speakers uh, amongst many around the entire world who are, you know, speaking in English. And I would say, like, we always mention here on this podcast is that, you know, because it's in Urdu or another language other than English, it automatically is more uh, emotional than English because it's in another language. That's not the case. I think that's been proven throughout years that it doesn't matter what the language is As long, every language has its own beauty and every language mashallah hits the heart because it's of, of who we're talking about and so we've seen that growth of english lectures and uh, forget our parents generation we thought this generation wouldn't see it now alhamdulillah we have and i mashallah you've been part of that group that growth so you know since we've seen the lectures and english grow throughout throughout the years how do you think that growth can happen in English poetry specifically as well? Like, what you what have you seen in the lecture circuit when it comes to English, and you know, how do you think that can apply to poetry in English as well?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. you know, uh, it's a it's a great question. And Again, I'm trying to keep my answers mm-hmm. not so long winded, but no, it's,
0: it's okay. I, I think we learn. We're words. learning. We're learning so much. Like that. That, oh. that. 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 Revive you just heard about that woman. We're studying poetry at the grave of Rasulullah. I know that's new for me. I think that yeah, might be too. Nothing yeah, for you and for other viewers. Yeah, so this is great information.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'll tell you, there, there's uh, one of the biggest differences. And and you have to look at the language being used, uh, Abbas. It's it's important to know that, you know, for example, you know, you, you're, you're trying to cut something and you have two knives. One is dull and one is sharp. You know, and, and it will always be dull no matter how hard you try to keep it sharp. The sharp one will always be sharp no matter how it just cuts different, right? So these three languages, Arabic, farsi, and Urdu, they're just they're based on emotion, they're they're, they're deeper. Um it's it's just it's just a reality of it. They have, yeah. you know, they they describe uh you know specific things whereas English groups everybody into one area. Um and so it's just a, it's a, it's a different language altogether to write poetry in, um, and it's deeper. There's emotion tied to it. There's meaning behind it. Um, you know, whereas English doesn't quite have that depth.
3: Mm-hmm. And I'm
2: not talking about the, the the reciter of that language. I just just the language itself doesn't have that depth. Right. That's point number one. Point number two also, and I have a few points about this this one specifically, is that when you trace it all the way back. Uh, you know, in the Hauza Ilmi of Najaf and Qum, they would study the poems of the Imams. Imam Ali was known as a great poet.
3: Mm.
2: Sayyidina Fatima, was a great poet. Mm. Um, Imam Sajjad, Imam Hadi, known to be poets. Um, and then when you begin to get into Ghaybate Soghrah, al Kubra, then you have the ulama who would take on this skill. Imam Khomeini, for example, Rahmatullah alayha, has a whole divana. The a whole collection of poems that is published in, in in the bazaars in Qom, um, even even when we look at his writings, they're very poetic in their writing. Um, you know, even even in the way that, for example, today I Jawad Amali may Allah give him a long life. The way he speaks yeah. is poetic. Mm. Mm. He's able to actually, you know, bring words together, even rhyme sometimes. It's pretty incredible. And so that that culture of mixing. The, 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 the member and the scholar on the member with the, with, with the art of poetry combined was always there.
3: Mm. Okay.
2: So a scholar's presentation back then, and, 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 and let's move away from the Imam's times in Ghaybat the Sukhara, Kubra, when now the ulama on the member, it would be almost wajib upon them. It's not, of course, wajib, but almost lazmi. It's necessary for them. To get their point across through verses, of course, through ahadith, and then, of course, through some lines of poetry. Mm. Uh, quoting, you know, Hafiz, or co- quoting, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sa'id, or quoting uh, Rumi, or quoting, you know, Mir Anis, or Iqbal, or, or et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you pick up, for example, uh, Ayatollah Khamenei's lecture sometimes. He's quoting, you know, uh, Alam Iqbal sometimes. He's quoting this person and that person,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, you know. And th- that, that fusion, that sort of coming of the two worlds on the member was very common in these three cultures. That didn't happen in our culture in English. Mm. Um, I know when I prepare for my lectures, I'm looking to really fortify my point and bring my point home through multiple verses of the Quran and multiple ahadith. My mind doesn't even go towards the fact that if I just put a poem in there or a line really? of poem in there, it really yeah. sort of brings the point home but very much so if you look at the experience of an urdu speech or even in a farsi speech you know the point really sort of hits the hearts of the of the audience when yes the quran is presented the ahadith are presented and then what bridges those two together sometimes is one line of a beautiful poem from this poet or that poet mm. that construction of a speech just doesn't exist in the in- english language so we're talking about two different cultures and i think that crossover is going to take a little bit of a, of a while to do so now my third point is that it helps when the alim himself is a poet and some mm-hmm. ulama mashallah are poems are poets and they are passionate about their poetry um and uh that helps and then the final point is that you know where the where the impact of the of, of the poet lies is in the character of the poet him or herself you know, the verses, again, I'll go back to those verses and I ask you guys as poets, go back to Surah Sha'orah, last four or five verses uh, of, of those of those verses. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, look, if you if you don't have iman, amal al-salih and dhikr of Allah, mm-hmm. these three things, then you might fall into the category of those poets where the unfaithful and the misguided follow you around. You might yeah. be somebody who just allows their thought to go here, go there. There's no accountability. There's no fear of God. You know, whatever sounds good, whatever might get the best reaction you'll write, whether or not it's accurate, whether or not it makes sense, whatever the case may be. Or God forbid we become hypocritical. We write about those things. We ask those things. We present those things that we don't do ourselves. The verse, the last verse says that these are people who do vicar uh, of Allah kathiran. Now, dhikr comes in various forms, right? There's dhikr al-lisani, dhikr al-qalbi, dhikr amali dhikr al-fikri. Mm-hmm. Remembrance mm-hmm. of Allah, first of all, comes out of your tongue, right? La ilaha illallah, right? So right away, someone who is a poet should stop and think, it, can this same tongue now profess the unity of God, the beauty of his prophethood, mm-hmm. the isma and the fadail and distinction of the ahlubaits, that same tongue now God forbid, uses itself for obscene language hmm. or raises its voice to disrespect members of their family, for example. dhikr dhikr qalbi amali all these things, right? Does your heart re- remind you of Allah? Do your amal reflect the tawheed of Allah? These are the groups of poets that Allah says now, and again, we have our hadith that says those kind of poets, for each stanza they write, there's palaces waiting for them in the hereafter. Wow. But that condition is there. It can't just be that you put two two words together and you and 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 you rhyme them and that's it. Are you a manifestation of what you're writing on your paper, right? When the audience picks that up, okay, then that impact is there right away. They fall in love with the poet because they become someone who's not a hypocrite, and they fall in love with the art of poetry as well.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and I find that that to be growing. Alhamdulillah. In a rapid rate, what you guys are doing are, are is is great work, um, and you're 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 bringing you're shedding light in an area that's Islamic, no doubt. Um, where your success lies is how much of that will cause a self revolution inside both of you and those poets that you bring on, uh, on on as guests in your podcast, right? Because again, strictly Quranic basis. This is these are not my, not my thoughts. Allah says, you know, dhikrullahu kafidan." These are poets that, if they want to be successful in this world and the hereafter, and be grouped with those like Gumil Ibn Ziyad and Farazdak and all these great poets of the Ahlul it has to seep into their amal, into their tongue first of all, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's nothing, nothing worse than a, a poet sister talks about the beauty of Salat, doesn't pray, the beauty of following Allah's Sharia, for example, right? And he himself breaks that, breaks that Sharia. A person talks about patience and love and, and being soft and this and that, and, but they themselves don't exhibit those qualities. So it is very much a... Revo- it was always meant to be a revolutionary art, um, yeah. you know, not just one that, that pleases the masses, right?
0: Right, talk about actions speaking louder than words. Absolutely,
2: right? right? And the Quran yeah. says, don't yeah. be like those that you say one thing, but you do another, right?
1: Right. Yeah, and I guess following up from that last point there, uh, you mentioned, you know, Uh, scholars and lecturers in the east uh often use poetry to like drive that point home and i think one of the beauty beauties and power of poetry is that you're able to like convey a message in such, such a short format um whereas maybe you might it might take several lectures to convey that same thing um and you're also mentioning uh you know poets need to be at the level of knowledge and faith where whatever they're saying, uh, they're also implementing that in their own lives and whatever they're implementing is essentially manifesting in their poems. poems to be able to elevate their poetry to that level where it does drive the point home. Um, and inshallah, I, I pray, you know, that we have we produce an Iqbal or a Rumi or a anise in the English language as well where we could have that. Um, I guess, like, what, what is the relationship between poets and lecturers? Uh, we see oftentimes, you know, a lecture reciting poetry, um, a poet deriving inspiration from uh, lectures. Uh, and then oftentimes we also see that there's a lot of common uh, language being used, whether it's in Maasai or Fadal, that's being used in poetry as well, right? To create this common verbiage, these connotations that exist within us, uh, like Eastern languages for sure right now, but they don't necessarily exist in English. Should there be a lot uh, like more that we could do between poets and lecturers? Um, um, both in terms of like benefiting from each other, uh, in terms of like poetry from the from the lectures or knowledge for the poets, but also creating this like word bank or this this uh, common verbies that we're all kind of commonly using to create that same culture that already exists in Eastern languages in yeah, English. I, yeah,
2: yeah. Again, you guys, uh, you guys bought your A game, man. These, these are great questions, and I appreciate that. Uh, you know, it, it's a uh, it's a long, it's a, it's a process that I wish was already there. I know that sometimes when I hear both of your poems and your poetry, um, believe it or not, but sometimes it helps me to to verbalize my Masaib or my falai, for example. Now, I see myself, and I talk about myself. I don't know about anybody. But I see myself. I would love it if I could, you know include let's say a couple of stanzas let's say for example in 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 between my speech or even at the height of masai where the crowd wants to cry and then because sometimes you know a couple it just hits a little bit harder the heart than it does let's say for example a description of an event right um it's just it's it's a new culture naqi right Mm. and um your your (laughs) your fear as a speaker is that maybe the crowd's like you know this guy's just trying to create a culture that just simply isn't there um, but you, both of you coming from 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 an Urdu background, you know that sometimes in Masaib, especially, you know, when that when that alim chooses that beautiful stanza that talks about Abul Fazl Abbas, for example, after describing everything he went through, and then he places that in very beautifully, and it's a skill, right? It's a it's an art. I mean, there's khitabat, there's eulogy, there's all these things that that, that are skill oration, oration, and then.
3: Yeah
2: you know the the crowd just erupts to a whole different level of of musiba so, so so that fusion i talked about before again isn't quite there between the member and the microphone um do i think we're there yet i don't i don't think we're there yet we're not um, we're not we're, we're not. not yeah um only again there is this this i think sometimes not a fear but you know like i i know people have asked me you know you're the way you, re- you recite Masai, you're just mimicking the Urdu culture. Hmm.
3: Um,
2: and not in an insulting way, but that's just how you recite Messiah, and, and they're accurate because it's the only way I've ever heard Masai being read. Um, yeah. you know, uh I could go down the tune route where you know we have that let's say, for example, the 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 individuals who recite Messiah in the in, in the Persian culture, and a lot of my, my my colleagues in the house have adopted that culture as well. So you can see that. We're trying to figure out a way to, to sort of, you know, mention this and, and present it in a way that is unique to the English culture, but still has a little bit of a remnant to the old, that culture as well. Um, part of the thing that I would love to see is, is, is that perfect stanza, that perfect couplet that just might fit right there at that moment. But the hesitation sometimes lies in the fact that the people listening to it are expecting a certain culture given to them. Mm. um what i mean by culture is a certain like set of rules of presentation and um you know uh, they're not either ready for it or perhaps we don't have that confidence in the fusion of these two meaning the the poem and and, and the alim let's say for example to present that if that's really an answer but uh, you know we're a little bit away from that right now um i'm hoping one day it will happen um but i think that this respect and 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 and, and this presentation of English poetry has been incredible. Um, you know, I know that sometimes when we hold events in our, in our local centers, when it comes to mic nights or open mic nights, we now have elders coming and, and, and really encouraging that. And not just because they're invited, but because they generally enjoyed the poetry.
0: And elder poets too, like poets from a different not just the elders, but the actual poets themselves from yes, that language. Yes, Come yeah. and support the English. Right, it's, it's right. Very exactly. encouraging. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. So those things were kind of unheard of 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's that's really changing. And uh, uh and I, I would love to see one day, you know, that that sort of fusion happening, right? That because it, it it is very much an Islamic traditional historical reality that the alim would present their matlab and content and their scholarly presentation. At the same time, they also include either their own poetry or, like I said, quote, a different poets. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And sometimes yeah, I think that we're freaking that out because the thing is with Urdu and Iranian culture uh, and most likely Arab culture as well, like the poetry is very, it's, it's very rhyme, meter, and weight-driven. And so when you present a, a stanza with weight and rhythm and flow, it sounds easier, whereas English... It's kind of more of a spoken word free verse type of thing so to kind of put in a spoken word free verse at that conjecture at that point in time might not hit as hard as something that has flow in it so right that's something that we're, we're kind of juggling that, you
2: know that rhyme and meter you talk about a boss that that's a lot easier to present at that yeah.
0: moment. right
2: because you know, it, it's flowing, and you can you know you can see what the last literally sometimes a crowd will finish that poem off for you because they can pick, figure out okay this is the rhyme sorry this is the weight and this is this is the flow this is the rhyming word at the end for example right and when they it becomes a collect it becomes a collective presentation from the crowd and from the member and I don't know if that that would have the same impact in English I, I just don't yeah. know. I don't
0: know. I mean, it's okay if it doesn't. Too, we could create our own culture as well. But we got to see. That's a work in yeah. progress. Yeah, um. Yeah. So, um, mashallah, you know, throughout this conversation, and we're kind of approaching the end a little bit here. Um, you know, mashallah, you've have, you have you've had a lot of messages to give. Um, a lot of hadith, a lot of Quranic ayat. Um, and we kind of wanted to see if there's any other message to the poetry community, or uh, any other up and coming poets, or any poets that are writing any sort of message you have for them any sort of advice that you haven't mentioned already if you've already if you've kind of hit your limit in regards to any sort of advice that you've already given then that's fine you don't have to answer this question but if there is anything left that you might say that you know what oh i should say this point you know this could be the right
2: time to say it yeah no i think i've made my point it's just just be responsible um you know um understand the impact of the pen that you have um you know if you're going to uh, take on this uh, this act and, and you're going to publicize it and you're going to, you know, make it available for everyone to read then 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 make sure it's it's in line with um, the path of, of of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Ahlul Bayt and then more importantly is that you know, make sure it impacts you before it impacts anybody else hmm. um, you know, and uh, like I said, we don't want to fall into that category of, pol- of poets the Quran talks about where they're hypocritical in nature, they're careless with their pens, uh, they're misguiding the masses, they're pulling them away from the scholars and the marajah and those principles of faith, for example, right? Comparing, for example, a wajib hajj to Imam Hussein Ziyadah, for example, removing removing the, the wujub and the oblation of salat, for example, uh, th- those things that, of course, you know, th- those are obvious, clear examples. But just understand you have, you have an opportunity really when you're on the mic or when you post or when you you know you could you know you could pull somebody towards a certain path you could brighten that day that person is having a, a tough time renew an allegiance strengthen an existing faith all that through your poetry your poetry and i think sometimes you know i i think the poet loses sight of the fact that every word they write the, the you know they should be accountable for it right that's all yeah Otherwise, um, I've said a lot already, so I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. keep that down. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I wanted to wanted to thank you, said uh, for all the advice and and the uh, words of wisdom. It's it's a lot to take back and think about, inshallah. Um, and we have a tradition where we end our our, our podcast usually with uh, with the poet reciting their own poem. And I hear that you also have written a poem for us for today, um, so we would love to hear that from you uh, before closing off.
2: Uh yeah i i mean I, I i don't i mean you you two are the poets mashallah and you guys write in, incredible poetry and uh uh you know what one thing i want to mention you know abbas you mentioned the rhyme the weight and the and the the meter. flow you
0: said yeah flow meter
3: yeah. yeah
2: the flow meter i really you know i maybe i'm a little bit old school but i really like when both of you and i've heard you guys write your poems like that sometimes and sometimes it's sort of a free-for-all but sometimes you know uh, i and i really prefer that form not that anyone's asking me what i prefer but i prefer that form over anything else just cuz you know number one it's pre- it's presented and 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 uh the oration behind it especially both of you you guys present your poems very strongly and you take your audience on a path and when you have that sort of weight in that rhyme i think it it's 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 beautiful um the poem i have is a very old one that I remember I had written during one of our camp visits years and years ago when everybody was asked to write a poem, and I had I had written it and it's just about you know me and God and and the forgiveness of God and His mercy and my you know my refusal to to learn my own lesson and blah 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 and uh, you know I I feel like uh, those poets that say oh I have nothing prepared but it's right here. <laughs> Bookmark on my
0: phone. <laughs> you have your Inshallah. you have your book. You have your book inside your abba. Yeah, so yeah,
2: yeah. I didn't bring anything. I just kind of <laughs> flip the pages, even though there's a big <laughs> yellow tab in the book. Yeah, yeah. So page one thirty four. <laughs> page one thirty four. So I, I'm really sorry, you two are the that I don't want to insult. Bismillah, you please just, don't yeah, apologize. Apologize. It it's nothing really. It. Uh, it's nothing really. But um, no,
0: please, Bismillah. Looking forward Bismillah.
2: to. It. Oh my goodness. Okay. I don't. Know. I kept on doing this. All right. Bismillah al-Rahman al-Rahim. Okay. It never ceases to amaze me or phase me how you blaze the trails for, for me of my own deceit. Forever committed to those who have been acquitted of their sins by you. One embrace from your mercy, and we forget the taste of disgrace left upon our face. For we are responsible for our own oppression, leading us to confession, while all the while we hope, try to cope while grasping the scope of our actions. How could I forget you and let you be a second thought if only I fought the urge to merge with shaitan the accursed? You are Allah. No words can describe or prescribe the essence that is you. You create with no prior, elevate clay over fire, separate the truth from the liar, hmm. free the mu'min from the dire state that he's in. I became heedless of you, convincing myself that I'm needless of you. My arrogance controlled me while my desires patrolled me. And in this fight, I was right to take flight to your might and realize that without you, I am but a kite without strings, a bird without wings. So I cling to the one thing that I bring to my mind, and that is you, the greatest forgiver of all time. I continue to be enslaved by my desire building my place in the hellfire while all the while I beg for your forgiveness this game has to end to believe and then deceive deceive and, and believe is nothing but a game i play every day with you and i fear one day you will say to you i fear one day you will say that you no longer belong to me while all the while i long for thee confessing my inability to fight my demons that are screaming for me to ignore you while all the while i adore you so i turn to hmm. you allah looking to fix this flaw of my iman on a seesaw. Up and down it goes, calling on you only when those elements of this dunya look to destroy me. and When my life is free of despair, I resume my satanic affair, almost as if I placed a sign on thee that reads only use when necessary. So that was just a small attempt, and I, uh, oh, I, I, I apologize to you guys for that.
1: That um, was that was amazing. Uh, I hope I, it wasn't I, an insult to you That, that is, was phenomenal. phenomenal. You know,
0: you know, you know. He said before, I don't have anything prepared. I'm not one of those guys. He's a, he's one of those guys. I'm not a really poet. You guys are the real poet. And then he slams us with that. Oh, <laughs> <you>?
1: <laughs> no, yeah, I'm not so only... a <laughs> poet. No, no. no, no. Marshall, but, yeah. That was really, really amazing. Uh, I I appreciated that so much. Um, hoping hoping to hear more from you. as us said
0: Yeah.
2: <sighs> Inshallah. I'll let you guys do what you do best and uh, and that's it. But uh, yeah, no, I want to thank you guys. Really, this was a great experience, a wonderful conversation. And uh, I-, I like what you're doing. I think that uh, it's important that we do revive uh, these historic uh, arts that uh, have always and we're always supposed to be avenues towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so i appreciate that i really pray for your success in this in, the, in this endeavor inshallah
0: inshallah inshallah and as you mentioned during your points that you know bridging bringing making that culture between the scholar and the poet that they did in our previous cultures hopefully we kind of maybe maybe started something here it's kind of bringing that gap between the poet and the scholar in this culture and who knows it might it might uh, grow into something uh, more beautiful in the future so just formally uh, on behalf of the Poets of the Household podcast, myself and Naki we just want to thank you for being with us here today and taking time at your very busy schedule again for being with us here today
2: thank you very much to both of you Naki and Abbas I appreciate it and uh, again may Allah accept your efforts inshallah and may these efforts be avenues of self-revolution for all of us inshallah and for those outside of us inshallah as well
0: inshallah inshallah Uh, again viewers thank you so much for being with us here today again like I mentioned this was going to be a very special episode And it did not disappoint. Um, Alhamdulillah, i learned a lot. Naqi, I'm sure you did. And I'm sure a lot of our viewers and listeners did as well today. So this has been episode five of the Poets of the Household podcast. Thank you so much for being with us here today. Until next time. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.